Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Our sermon text for this morning's meditation is a portion of our Old Testament lesson from Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. I'll read the entire text for you now. The man was intimate with Eve, his wife. She conceived and gave birth to Cain. She said, I have gotten a man with the Lord. She also gave birth to Cain's brother, Abel. Abel tended sheep, but Cain worked the ground. As time passed, one day Cain brought an offering to the Lord from the fruit of the soil. Abel also brought some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. The Lord looked favorably on Abel and his offering, but he did not look favorably on Cain and his offering. Cain was very angry and his face showed it. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why do you have that angry look on your face? If you do good, will you not be lifted up? If you do not do good, sin is crouching at the door. It has a strong desire for you, but you must rule over it. Cain said to Abel, his brother, let's go into the field. When they were in the field, Cain attacked Abel, his brother, and killed him. The Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the soil. Now you are cursed and sent away from the soil, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the soil, it will no longer give its strength to you. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is too great for me to bear. Look, today you have driven me away from the soil. I will be hidden from your face, and I will be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And whoever finds me will kill me. The Lord said to him, No. If anyone kills Cain, he will face sevenfold revenge. And the Lord appointed a sign for Cain, so that anyone who found him would not strike him down. Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Lord, these are your words, and therefore they are your truth. We ask that you'd increase our faith through them. Amen. What comes to mind when you think of the story of Cain and Abel? It's hard for us not to picture Cain murdering his brother Abel. I think that's emblazoned on our minds and on our memory when we think back to this story. And of course, that is a big climax of the story. And it's so horrific when we think about the way that Cain killed his own brother. When we think about how sin so quickly resulted in even well, or even bringing up these sorts of thoughts and hatred and animosity against Abel. How Cain could commit murder. Well, there's much to the lesson that we consider before us today. Of course, we can focus on Cain's anger and that terrible action of murder. But there's other things to consider. Earlier in the text, we see especially that Cain and Abel brought their offering to the Lord. Today, I'd like us to focus on these things, that we might learn a lesson on giving from Cain and Abel. Now, while we're under these COVID-19 restrictions that we have at the present time, our offerings in church are done a little bit different, aren't they? Online, we put up a screenshot to encourage you to 
give your gifts online or maybe send them in the mail. Those that come to our drive-in services, they're able to drop off offerings as they enter our parking lot or as they exit. But if you can remember some two months ago, back when we were able to meet together as a church, offering was done in a different way, a very special way, wasn't it? As the pastor, sometime after his sermon, would come out from behind the altar and he'd hand the plates off to the ushers and the ushers would then bring them down the aisles to each row. And people would kind of move around a little bit as they'd reach for their billfold or for their purse or checkbook. And others would maybe sit back because they'd already given their offering online. And after all of those gifts had been collected, they'd be brought back to the front. The pastor would take the plates and he'd raise them, offering them to God, and place them again down on the altar. Is that really an important part of our service? Or is it simply a nice way for the church to collect the money that it needs to survive? Is it actually part of the service, actually an act of worship to God to bring our offerings to the Lord? It's quite striking as we read through the Old Testament, especially this early this early book of the Bible in Genesis, as we see this as the very first example, as far as I can tell, of man offering worship to God. It's interesting that he offers not a prayer, not a praise, but he brings gifts to the Lord, a sacrifice to God as an act of worship. And we don't know for sure if God prescribed exactly how Cain and Abel or Adam and Eve were to give their gifts, their offerings to him, but we might expect that he did so. After all, when we look through the Bible or when we look in our own his- historical books, we see man comes up with very different ways to give offerings to God and to worship him, whether it's bowing down to things in nature or to idols Sacrificing children or temple prostitution, well, this is quite different. That Cain and Abel are giving of their produce, giving back to God a portion of what he has blessed them with, and offering it in a very similar way. They're offering it by burning it so that the Lord might receive their offering. So Cain and Abel's offerings were similar in a number of ways. They're also very different, especially different in one key way. Why did God accept Abel's offering but not Cain's? I think ultimately it comes down to motivation. It comes down to the heart of the giver. I think many times for us as Christians, we're very impressed by people that give large donations or large gifts, especially to the Lord's work. But what's most important to God is not the amount of the gift, but it is the heart of the giver. And we see really why God accepted Abel's offering to the Lord, but did not accept Cain's. Especially we see it so clearly in the book of Hebrews, as it records for us there these words. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. It may explain for us why God looked favorably upon Abel's offering and not favorably upon Cain's. It was because Abel gave in faith. By faith, 
it says in the letter to the Hebrews, he gave his offering to the Lord. And so his proper motivation was to give to the God of his salvation, the God certainly who had provided him so much through his own labors as he cared for his flocks and herds, as he had blessed him with much fruit of the womb among those flocks that he now offers it to the Lord. But especially as he gives an offering to the God of his salvation, the God in whom he placed his trust. Cain, on the other hand, was giving with a different motivation. We don't know precisely what that motivation was, but we do know that Cain was not giving in faith to the Lord. Perhaps Cain's motivation was obligation. Maybe God had commanded Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve, to offer these sacrifices to him in this specified way, and so he felt, well, I better do it or else, or else God is going to strike me dead, or else God is going to curse the earth and not provide for me. Or maybe he just saw his brother Abel and thought, well, if Abel's going to gift, give a gift, I better as well. I wonder if even we as Christians today can sometimes have that motivation of Cain when it comes to giving our offerings and our gifts to the Lord. Instead of giving out of faith, out of joy and gratitude for everything that God has done for us, maybe simply give because we have to. Oh, what would other people say if they know that I'm not giving a gift to the Lord if they know, or if they know that I'm not giving that much. I have to. Otherwise, what would the church do if it can't pay its bills? I guess I, I better do this. Or maybe even concerning God. Maybe God is going to curse me or make my life terrible if I don't give proper offerings to Him. Instead of giving with a proper motivation, we can give with that motivation of Cain. Maybe it's that motivation of obligation. But God certainly doesn't want us to give in such ways. Rather, he invites us instead to repent of our sins and repent of such motivation. With the psalmist David, he reminds us a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise invites us to confess our wrong motivations and our sins to him and to know that he graciously forgives us. We see the incredible mercy of God even in our text for today with Cain, don't we? Even after Cain had, with the improper motivation, given a gift to the Lord that was not accepted by him, God does not forsake him. Rather, God comes to him and he doesn't want him to fall into further sin as he knows that his anger is leading him to want to murder his brother. But he invites him to turn from his sin and turn back to God, be forgiven and do what is right. And even after he murders his brother Abel, God still has grace for Cain, doesn't he? As he does not permit other people to kill Cain but places a mark on him, God still shows mercy to him, giving him a further time of grace to come back to him, to know the God of his salvation. God has been gracious to us in a similar way. Not only has God provided us in our own lives the fruit of our labor, He's blessed our efforts. He's given us all of the money and property and resources, our talents and abilities that we have. But God, more importantly, is the God of our salvation. The God who forgives our sins. The God who does not turn His back on sinners. 
yet reminds us, as he does through the Apostle Paul, that Christ died for us. Even while we were ungodly, even while we were sinners, he did these things. God has shown incredible grace and mercy for us, and he doesn't will that any perish in their sin, but they turn to him in repentance and be forgiven and saved. It's, it's interesting when we think about the motivation of these gifts between Cain and Abel and how different that motivation was. One gives out of his thankfulness to God, out of faith in his Savior God, and the other for another reason, perhaps that motivation of obligation. But as I said before, it isn't so much the size of the gift or the gift that God approves and looks favorably upon, but it's the motivation of the giver. Yet, it is true that the two are connected, the gift and also the motivation. We see this clearly in our text for today. Let's look closely again at verse 3 and 4 as it describes not just the motivation of the gift, but even the gift itself. It says this, As time passed, one day Cain brought an offering to the Lord from the fruit of the soil. Abel also brought some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. Did you notice the big difference in the gifts given between Cain and Abel? Well, it wasn't simply things that are on the surface that Cain is giving crops and Abel is giving flocks. But know what it says concerning Abel's gift. Abel also brought some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. It's very clear that the Bible is describing Abel's gift as really giving his first fruits to the Lord, his very best, the firstborn of his flock, the very first fruit of the womb that's born unto him, the blessings of God as he's provided for him in his own vocation as shepherder, as caretaker of these animals. He gives his very first blessings that God has bestowed upon him but also his very best. As it says, he gives their fat portions. I know for us today, we maybe don't think the fatty part of the animal is very valuable, and maybe we cut that part off when we are consuming our own meals, but back in Old Testament times, that was considered a very valuable portion of the animal, the fat portions. He gives his first fruit and his very best to the Lord. You see, it wasn't just the proper motivation of Abel, but that motivation also inspired him to give good gifts to God. You've probably heard the passage in Scripture before that says God loves a cheerful giver. Maybe you've thought in your own heart and mind, yeah, certainly I'm cheerful and filled with joy to give $100 to the Lord and to his work. But I'd certainly be much more cheerful and joyful to give only 10 After all, think of what I could do with that other $90. But this is the improper joy and cheerfulness from what God is talking about. God isn't talking about the joy of greed. He's talking about the joy and cheerfulness concerning that thankfulness that we have. Concerning everything that God has given for us. That he's provided for our needs. That he's most importantly provided for us eternal Savior. You know, it's good for this reason for us to consider our gifts that we give to God then. 
do we have the proper motivation in giving, giving out of joy and out of thankfulness and out of faith rather than out of obligation? But also, are we giving good gifts to the Lord that reflect all of those things, that joy and that thankfulness to God for all he has done for us? For this reason, I think it's good for us to analyze our regular income as we see the way, the tremendous way God has blessed us in our own families, in our own households, that he's provided us fruit of our own labor, and to consider also the gifts that we return back to him. Are those gifts our, our first fruits and our very best? Or are they simply our leftovers? Or something that we could easily do without, that we'd hardly even think about those gifts we give to God because they don't really make up a big portion of our budget. For those watching online, I encourage you to download our bulletin that's also available through our website. At the end of the bulletin, you'll find that there is a graphic there. And in that graphic, we have printed out a list of annual incomes. And I encourage you to find your own annual income in this chart. And then I invite you to follow along on the graph and to compare the gift that you regularly give to God on a weekly basis to see where it matches up. Is the gift you're giving maybe 2% of your income, maybe 5%, maybe 10%, maybe it falls somewhere in between. And I have you do this on your own in your own home as an encouragement for you to really honestly evaluate what you're giving to God and ask the question, is this what I want to give to God? Is this the way in which I'm reflecting my joy and thankfulness for everything that God has done for me? I think sometimes we, we don't really regularly analyze our gifts. It's so easy to give the exact same offering and gift to the Lord for maybe a decade, maybe two decades, maybe even longer, well, I always gift this amount, so I'm going to give the same amount. It's good for us to honestly evaluate the gifts that God has blessed us with and to give good gifts to the Lord, not simply our leftovers, but our very best to designate it to the Lord as an offering, a thank offering to Him. That's ultimately our motivation for this, isn't it? We aren't to be motivated out of obligation. Well, I better or else. I better or God is going to make my life miserable. I better or maybe the church isn't going to survive. But rather our true motivation is the joy of the forgiveness of sins and eternal life that God has promised to us. It's quite amazing the gift that God has given to us through his son Jesus Christ, isn't it? We think about God's generosity to us in giving Jesus for us sinful people who quite often have wrong motivations for the things that we do, including our offerings. Yet God gave him anyway. It's quite striking to consider this, that even after the fall into sin, even after God had sent Adam and Eve away from the Garden of Eden, and even after they had their own children, Cain and Abel, and we see how that sin has worked in the heart of Cain as he kills his brother. It's not at that point that, that God says, all right, that's it. My plan is off. It's that, that promise that I gave for you in the garden to send the seed of the woman to crush the serpent's head. That's it. I'm not, I'm not doing any of that. Look at how much sin you've engaged in already. No, God doesn't do that, does he? Instead, he continues his plan of salvation. As we hear later on in this 
fourth chapter in Genesis, how God also provides Adam and Eve with another son by the name of Seth. And it's through this son and through his line that that seed of the woman, that the Messiah would be born, the one who has come to crush the power of the devil, the one who has come to free us from its consequences, the judgment, the eternal judgment that we deserve for our sin. Yes, God in his grace has given us this incredible gift of Christ. It's that ultimately that motivates our own giving back to him, our own offerings of thankfulness and joy to the Lord. So today as we consider the very familiar story of Cain and Abel, there's certainly much that could be said about Cain's anger and about that terrible act of murder. But let us learn a lesson here today on giving from Cain and Abel. Let us see the proper motivation that God desires us to have concerning our gifts that we give to him. May we give our first fruits and our very best to the Lord out of thankfulness for everything that he has done for us, especially in sending us a Savior, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be forevermore.